Today, we welcome Dr. Gregory Pearl to the show. He is the co-medical director for vascular surgery at Baylor Scott & White Heart and Vascular Hospital in Dallas. And he's going to tell us a bit about thoracic outlet syndrome, or first rib resection. This is HeartSpeak, the podcast from Baylor Scott & White Heart and Vascular Hospital, Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host, Caitlin White. So thoracic outlet syndrome, or TOS, sounds very, you know, like a specific syndrome. Can you tell us exactly what that means? Uh, it's a condition. Uh, it's most commonly seen in young, active individuals, uh, and it's um, typically caused by some type of injury, and it can be a, a specific injury, like a lifting injury or a fall or a whiplash injury, or it can be just a, a cumulative type injury from overuse. And that's what we see in the athletes, especially the throwing athletes, which is from repetitive overuse of the upper extremity. Uh, or even somebody that's working in an office or in a job where they're doing a lot of repetitive activities with the upper extremities, especially reaching out away from their body or overhead repetitively. And what's occurring is that uh, some muscles up in the, the neck that run down and attach to the top rib from that repetitive overstimulation start to shorten and get very tight. And because of the uh, anatomic configuration of everything up there, the nerve artery and vein passes behind that muscle over the top of the first rib and behind the collarbone. And so the space between the collarbone and the top rib is a tight space anyway. And if you add this very tight muscle that's getting tightened, tighter and shortened uh, more over time from the overstimulation, it compresses and traps and irritates the nerve artery and vein as they pass through that space. Anytime nerves get compressed or pinched or irritated anywhere in the body, um, it's going to cause pain, numbness, tingling, weakness, uh, fatigue, heaviness, etc. And that's related to the, the nerve irritation. If the vein gets compressed or pinched, it can cause a blood clot and cause a big swollen arm. And if it, the artery is being uh, compressed and, and becomes damaged, it can cause a blood clot in the artery that can impair the circulation of the uh, arm and, and hand. So um, it can be anywhere from a sort of a nuisance kind of a thing of some occasional numbness and tingling in the arm and hand to a true life or limb threat issue uh, with the development of blood clots. So what are some of the symptoms and diagnostic tests that are used to confirm this syndrome? So again, the condition is, is kind of divided up into neurogenic, venous, or arterial. And the classification is really based upon the predominance of the symptoms or whether or not the patient has a, a blood clot. So the vast majority of patients that have thoracic outlet syndrome present with the neurogenic type. And it's, uh, that's where there's symptoms are predominantly related to, to the nerve irritation. And that's probably 95% of, of patients that present with thoracic outlet will present with the neurogenic type symptoms. And that's it's pain and tightness in the neck, upper back, upper chest. Uh, they may have referred pain out into the shoulder or into the, the elbow or, or arm. And then there's some numbness and tingling, so-called paresthesias that extend through the arm and hand. Um, and the patients complain of a lot of fatigue and heaviness and weakness in the extremity with use uh, just because those nerves aren't able to fire to the muscles normally because of the compression. And then those muscles get weak and they can't 
do the work of moving the arm as, as they would otherwise if they were able to file, uh, fire normally. With the uh, venous type, again, they'll present with a, a big swollen, painful arm from the blood clot in the vein where there's impaired blood return up out of the arm. And in the arterial, they can present with a lot of, of pain and sensitivity in their fingertips of their hand, usually from the little blood that's breaking off a clot in the artery, lodging down into the the arteries of the hand, causing uh, uh, problems with tissue perfusion, and uh, and they can actually get little ulcers and and or thick, painful calluses over the tips of the fingers from the lack of the circulation. So they're different presentations, but again, the vast majority of patients present with the the neurogenic type symptoms. So what are some things that people can do, especially those young athletes, to prevent developing this? Well, for the neurogenic type, um, it's it's really uh, all about postural correction, proper posture, and for the athletes, proper mechanics. And for those who do a lot of repetitive activities at work, it's, again, proper posture and postural correction and then proper ergonomics. Uh, for example, if they work at a desk, um, working at a computer all day, they need to make sure their desk height is appropriate, and that's where the, the standing or adjustable desks are very helpful. Um, proper chair height, um, have the keyboard and mouse um, ergonomically appropriate set up, or, or there are actually ergonomic uh, uh, keyboards and, and mouse to, to use, patients that may pre- be predisposed to that. Um, again, for patients that work um, at, a, at a desk or computer throughout the day, I have them, I recommend they, they stand frequently and stretch and take short walks and things to really get everything kind of opened up and and stretched out. Um, again, for the athletes, it's, uh, especially the throwing athletes, they just need to really be aware of of proper mechanics, especially the baseball pitchers. That's really the best they can do because in most patients, it's it's more of a functional disorder in that there's not any anatomic abnormality per se for unless the patient has an extra rib or some type of bony anomaly like an abnormal first rib or clavicular deformity from a fractured clavicle in the past and that's the vast minority of patients that would have that so the majority of patients that develop this again don't really have any anatomic issues it's mainly just a, a functional issue of Again, repetitive use, overuse uh, that's causing compression of the uh, nerve artery and vein within the outlet. So when it comes to surgery for TOS, who is a good candidate? So it's really all about uh, the symptoms. And so for the, the neurogenic, the nerve type, again, which is by far and away the most common type, it's really based on the severity and the duration of their symptoms, um, what their daily physical activities typically require them to do and how disruptive or disabling the symptoms are to those daily activities. For example, in the athlete, they typically can't perform uh, their sport and the, all the things related to their sport. It's certainly not performing at, a, at an elite level like they would like uh, based on the symptoms. So most of the athletes, will give them a period of, of, of rehab, trying to work and getting things corrected with rehabilitation, but and in, in a, some of those athletes, it'll help, but most athletes, because of the f- daily physical demands of what they're doing with the workouts and throwing and everything related to their sport, it's such a physically demanding, rigorous 
repetitive use kind of activities with their sport, they usually will require surgery to decompress the neurovascular bundle to get rid of the symptoms. The non-athletes have more options. And again, we get them into a physical therapy program, uh, working on postural correction, muscular stretching, um, muscular strengthening, core strengthening, things like that. And then, of course, just as, as we talked about a few minutes ago, um, making any uh, ergonomic or mechanical adjustments that, that would be helpful within their workplace or with what they're doing with their job. If Are they able to restrict or modify the activities that they're doing that minimize those uh, those uh, uh, causative um, mechanisms. Um, and uh, for those patients that don't respond well to the conservative treatment in any way, um, where their patient, the, the patient symptoms are st- still of such severity that they're really causing them daily misery and uh, they're truly life-altering and, 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 and disruptive to them on a daily basis, they simply just can't do what they otherwise need to be doing or want to be doing. And the therapy and these other corrective measures haven't helped, then they'll consider having surgery to fix it, uh, to decompress the neurovascular bundle and get rid of the symptoms. For the vascular type, if they have a blood clot, most of those patients will require surgery uh, to fix it so they can have their their arm improve related to the swelling from a blood clot in the vein or remove that source of a blood clot uh, in the artery that could cause problems with circulation and even potentially tissue loss uh, in the hand. And wrapping up here, what does recovery time look like post-surgery? So what we do with the procedure itself is uh, we're basically going in and removing those those points of compression where the nerve artery and vein are being compressed. So the procedure can be done in, in uh, a couple different approaches. I do it through an approach that's uh, make a short incision just above the collarbone at the base of the neck, and then go in and detach and excise that muscle um, that we were talking about that gets so tight and short and called the anterior scalene muscle. And then we free up any adhesive bands or adhesions that we see around the nerves and the vessels. It's called a neurolysis and, and uh, lysis of the vessels. Uh, and then we take out that top rib. And the top rib is actually a very short curved rib. People think of you know their ribs if they fill down along their side as a great big long thing, and, and they are in that location. But up at, at the top and the, at the first rib, it's a very short, maybe four or five inch long curved rib that just is tucked up under the collarbone. You can't see it or feel it. It doesn't re- really provide any specific uh, a function that uh, that's irreplaceable. Um, the patient, the patient will never miss it. And the muscle is mainly a stabilizer. It doesn't really move anything. Like most muscles move bones across joints. The scalene is more of kind of a stabilizer muscle, which in fact is the reason that it's more predisposed to being, to to shortening and compressing because that's what it's built to do. So there's no visible change in somebody's appearance. There's no uh, change or alteration in their ability to, to move a certain way or they're weaker in a certain way or something by removing these things. To the contrary, uh, the, the purpose of the procedure and the intent of the procedure is to rid the patients of all of their symptoms and get them back doing whatever they want without restrictions. Um, for example, the, the athletes, our goal is to get them back performing at a very high level under daily physically demanding circumstances. Um, and all other patients that have, have such severity of symptoms that are unable to just 
typical daily, normal, everyday things uh, due to the disruptive and disabling nature of the symptoms. Um, our goal is to get them back doing whatever they want, uh, again, without any symptoms or or restrictions. Uh, so the surgery itself takes about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes is not a really long procedure. We keep the patients in the hospital for a couple of nights, mainly to manage their post-op discomfort and get them transitioned over to an oral pain medication regimen that they'll be on for a week or two after the surgery. They're not immobilized in any way, like uh, there's no splint or brace, uh, like there are, is in some upper procedures, like elbow surgery or shoulder surgery, where the patient has to be immobilized. For a while, there's no mobilization in this procedure. We want the patients to be up and using their extremity for normal everyday stuff, eating, bathing, brushing their teeth um, to help keep a lot of these muscles up around the neck and upper back and upper chest kind of worked out and keep them from getting too tight and sore. We'll let everything kind of settle down for a week or 10 days after the surgery, and then we get back into a rehab program with physical therapy. And it's uh, very similar to the therapy that we work on before the surgery. It's to try to avoid the patient having to have surgery, um, and, it's, and it's all about postural correction, scaling stretches, pectoral stretches, neural glide exercises, what we call scapular thoracic stabilization and, and strengthening exercises, um, generalized stretching and strengthening program just in general. And that goes on for about six to eight weeks in kind of a progressive fashion under the direction of a physical therapist. And usually a couple months after surgery, the patients are feeling pretty good. Um, They still won't be 100% because they'll still be regaining strength and things. As far as the return to 100% recovery, get all their strength back and everything, can be anywhere from three to six months. It's very much dependent on what kind of shape the patient was in before the surgery and how severe their symptoms were and, and how long the symptoms have been going on beforehand because patients um, that have had really prolonged severe symptoms can get fairly what we call deconditioned where it takes them a little bit longer time to recover to get over all their deconditioning related to their uh, debilitation prior to the surgery. But usually by anywhere from three to six months, the patients are uh, feeling good and good shape and and, uh, full strength and getting back to whatever they want to do. Well, thank you for being with us and for breaking this topic down, Dr. Pearl. That was Dr. Gregory Pearl. He is the co-medical director of vascular surgery at Baylor Scott & White Heart and Vascular Hospital, Dallas. Find out more about TOS at baylorhearthospital.com slash TOS. This has been HeartSpeak. I'm your host, Caitlin White. Stay well. Baylor Scott & White Heart and Vascular Hospital, Dallas and Fort Worth. Joint ownership with physicians.